0: right, we are back in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. Kari Frazier once again with a special guest. We're starting off Black History Month. It is February 1st in 2018. It's hard to even say 2018, (laughs) but a special guest for you guys today. Somebody that has been in and a part of this Detroit tapestry community of the West Side for a long time. Kim Tandy, how are you? I'm good and yourself. Good, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adjust the mic. Can you move the mic a little bit closer to closer you? Closer to my face. Yep. Wait, is it moving <laughs> too much? Let's see.
1: How about that? Is that better?
0: Yeah, that's way better. Okay. All right, all right. I'm going to turn you up a little bit. All right, cool. All right, so let's get that introduction one more time. Kim
1: Teddy, how are you? I'm good and yourself? Very well, very well.
0: So we're going to start this journey how we generally start with Detroit is different,
1: podcasting, Detroit.
0: What led you or your family to this city?
1: Well, I've been a Detroiter all my life. I've lived on the west side in the district, Two all of my life. Um, my father and mother are born and raised Detroiters as well. Um, now, my mother's family from her maternal side is from Louisiana. My father's family part, is from parts of Louisiana? Shreveport, Louisiana.
0: Ah, good old Shreveport. <laughs> Shreveport.
1: Okay. And then my father's family pretty much from Alabama. Um, but You know I got to
0: ask, what part of Alabama
1: and so, I don't really know. Don't ask me that.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, well, getting out of Alabama brings <laughs> Bring a it lot back of people, such as the great Coleman Young Absolutely. and his family. Yep. And um, there's a lot of Alabamans. It is. In, in and around. I know uh, that whole, um, and you know it definitely every year. Um, man, my mind just went blank. Because they were like in government and everything. Uh, the Womack family. Yes. Big Alabamans. Yes. Big Alabama. Yeah, there's a lot
1: of Alabamians from that are in Detroit now. So we've populated, came down and got some experience, and 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 decided we were going to work in the city. So I, and my my grandfather actually um, was in Detroit. Was one of the first um, African American engineers in the city of Detroit's um, um, inspection department. Huh. My father um, was a pretty prominent architect in the city of Detroit. I had his own firm, did the expansion to Cobo Hall. The Museum of African American History was my father's design. Um, Done a lot of housing in the city of Detroit. But it was a real passion for Detroit, which Mm -hmm. is um, why I am who I am, because my parents both had that passion. So, again, they were both raised in the city of Detroit and stayed in the city of Detroit and worked in the city of Detroit. My father passed about four years ago. My mother's still here, but she is truly a Detroiter. Mm -hmm. I can tell you some stories. When we were little and Hudson's was downtown, um, we only shopped in the city. We did Mm. not shop outside of the city. We never would. My mother had a a real-
0: You didn't go to Northland as Northland was opening?
1: (laughs) No, and as, as a matter of fact, I remember when Northland was an open mall, and we would walk out there. But we would go out to like the Hudson's that was out there, mm-hmm. pick out what we wanted and come downtown and have them order it to the downtown store so that the downtown store would get the credit for purchasing it. Ben um, B. Seagulls was on Livernois and Seven Mile, which is why I have such a big passion for that Livernois Seven Mile c- um, corner. That was our store, that's where we got all of our clothes for going to school out of that B. Seagulls store. Um but we've had a really no
0: wait 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 B Seagulls I've never even heard of this B Seagull I think of is the rapper Beanie Siegel. but uh what
1: is B Seagulls? B Seagulls was a department store right there on the corner of Livernois and 7 Mile Livernois and Seven, which, which corner because- It would be your southwest corner it's the corner that we are now Matt Hessler who is a developer that lives in the city in the Sherwood Forest area over there um that just purchased to redesign that as a retail and residential strip okay. so it'll be our first mixed-use um, development um, in the city in a very long time. Mm.
0: Okay. So Okay. Interesting. All right. So this whole concept, being in that neighborhood, what schools did you go
1: to? So um, I started, my mother was, is, my mother was uh, an educator and she worked for DPS, but she also worked for a school, Roper, um, which is out in Bloomfield Hills, when I was younger. So I actually went to Roper from like pre-k all the way through the eighth grade but then i went to cast tech so okay. i actually graduated from so Cass. what what made you want to go to cast tech well i didn't have a choice so my father oh, you I, didn't have a choice i didn't have a choice my father's <laughs> father went to cast tech all of my father's siblings went to cast tech And so I didn't, he and his, all his brothers and sisters went to Cass Tech. And so my father, that was, when I was younger, I knew that my high school was going to be Cass Tech all the Mm. way growing up, which was a great thing. It was an excellent experience. I'm glad I went there. And because I was going into architecture, it actually had the curriculum that supported um, what I wanted to be and was very beneficial when I actually went away to school.
0: Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about architecture as the homes in some of these neighborhoods, especially like in- was labeled as District Two, but on the West Side, uh, as uh, the the history of this house is unique. But a lot of these homes being built at the turn of the cent of night of 1900,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, up through like I guess I would say like the 30s, mm-hmm. unique builds. Like every house has like a a different type of design.
1: Well, One of the things that we're very fortunate and and very blessed to have in the city of Detroit is our architecture. So one of the things that you'll see is that Detroit has the largest um, capacity of single family homes inside of an urban city in the country so and because they were built the way that they were built that they weren't built as subdivisions they were built Mm -hmm. as individual homes they all have their unique identity but the biggest thing is that they are mostly brick homes and they are very stable homes um in the architecture and the um in the the intensity in which they were built um we'll never build this again we just won't we won't we don't have we have the capacity for the craftsmanship um, and the people to do it. We don't have the education of how to do it but plus fact all of that becomes very expensive when you're building a piece of property um, and so we just will never do it again which is why you see on most subdivisions you'll have brick that goes up about four feet and then everything else is some other kind of surface because th- things like that cost a lot to lay and to do in the craftsmanship. So we have a, a very unique city with a very unique architecture that has to be preserved.
0: Okay, so when you talk about preservation of it, just mm-hmm. even in this home itself, um, as before my mom's passing, there was a lot of ideas that she had, and I had to like look through these old photos of like a lot of just even the wood in this home mm-hmm. uh, that's now painted over
2: mm-hmm.
0: is like like rare woods, unique woods, and how, how should how do you suggest for people like me that own homes in in the city? where it's some rare, like, windows, woods, uh, brick. Like, who do you reach out to? Because I can't go to Home Depot for this.
1: No, and there are some people that are still refurbishing your wood windows. I don't know that necessarily that's necessarily the architecture that you have to because you do want some sense of energy efficiency. So there are windows and, like, aluminum windows or whatever that look like wood that Mm -hmm. actually still have that same presence. But as far as the interior wood and the interior Um, there's a lot of places in the city of Detroit that actually would help you in preserving that, um, and, and stripping the wood and bringing it back to its, its natural, um, state is it it make, it really takes the detail back into the house and, and your new homes, you don't Mm -hmm. have any of that.
0: Okay. So you can get those resources. Absolutely. They're in Detroit. Absolutely. Should I Google them or like, what, what do I do? Go to a community I, meeting or something?
1: I mean, you can Google them, but I mean, if that's something you're interested in, I actually put a list of those places to go to and we okay. can share that with other that residents. That will be
0: on the Detroit is Different. If you're watching this, it'll be a while before I expose, but now I have to follow through with like a lot of visions my mom had for the house. So that was one of them. Exposing the wood uh, as the banister, even coming up the steps like that mm-hmm. wood is throughout the house in many places. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pantry it's it like the this house, and then I have the house next door, which is a two family flat, like they're so uniquely designed
1: absolutely, and they're all individualized, and the workmanship that is in these these properties. Again, we will never get this again. So we've got to learn to preserve these things. We've got to learn to um, really appreciate what Detroit has to offer. I say, to, I'll t- say that to people all the time, That Detroiters that are moving somewhere else, you'll never get what you have here. And even people that come here from other places and see the amount of house and the quality of house that we have in the city of Detroit and how much we pay for them, in other places, these houses would be just gold mines.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about those gold mines and just homes you've owned, we, we kind of went through and just your family. What's the first home you remember as a child? Uh, what did it look like? What did it feel like? What block was it
1: on? So actually, I, I was born in a two family flat on Pasadena, not too far from here, um, just off of Linwood. Um, yeah, I, that's like a stone story. Right, that's that right. Say. And I was only there until I was about three years old. But I do remember. You remember that much? I, actually, the I, only reason why I remember is I because there was a kid. there was actually a Russian family that lived in the house right behind us, and there was hmm. just a, it was a, um, a lot of children on the block. And I remember being outside, and and I'm sure some of my memory has something to do with pictures that our family has. But I mm-hmm. do remember some of that. Um, then um, we actually purchased the house in District 2 um, on Otter Drive between Still and Sorrento, was where, where I grew up. Um, mm. And I was there until I went to high school. And at that time, my father, again, who I told was an architect, had designed and built our house on the Detroit Golf Club, which is where my mother still lives right now. Mm. Um, after high school, I left the city and went to Georgia. To Georgia, well, I went to New Orleans for my freshman year, and then I went to Georgia Tech, and I got my I finished my undergrad and graduate school, got my master's at Georgia Tech in architecture. Um, and then when I came back home, I absolutely had to live um, in my district. That's just where I wanted to live. Um, my aunt had a two-family flat on Seven Mile. I lived there for a little while. And then my husband and I bought our first home on Fullerton um, in the um, Russell Woods area. Hmm. Uh, From there, we moved into Sherwood Forest because I was trying to move closer into where I was pretty much raised. So we had our first house on Warrington um, when the whole economy was flipped upside down. Of course, our properties, because we bought when everything was up, properties were flipped upside down a little bit. We got an opportunity to purchase a house um, around the corner from us. Um, during that foreclosure cycle, whatever, we got very fortunate and purchased the house that we're in now. So I still live in District Two and always will be.
0: Okay, so in these homes, let's let's talk about a little bit of the character of everything. As an architect, it's almost like I can nerd out with you on it. Mm-hmm. What what was unique about a lot of these homes as you've bounced around in different places? So let's start with the Sorrento home. What do you remember that stands out?
1: So out, out of drive home, first of all, I remember that we actually had we had. A house in the middle of the block. We lived on Outer Drive between Still and Sorrento. We actually had an extra lot, which is one of the things that the city is really into right now—selling these side lots so that residents have property mm-hmm. around their houses. We actually had um, an extra lot. My my grandmother, my, my grandfather, and my father's side actually worked for Parks and Rec, and he used to build an ice skating rink for us in the winter time on our lot, and the neighbors could come over and ice skate on our ice skating rink. And that th- is next very, to <laughs> uh, next to our house. That is
0: that is very unique, right? That is very unique. Is uh the good brother Herman Davis <laughs> will be coming soon? Uh, that's the only skating I was doing. As
2: a child. <laughs> right, <laughs> roller skate.
1: Yeah, so we used to ice skate um, on on that side lot, but it was actually part of our property. But the one thing I I do remember again is the character oh. of the house. It was it, it was unique. It didn't look like anybody else's house on the on the street. And I'm gonna tell a a little bit of a story when I was in architecture. Um, my sophomore year, when I transferred from Tulane to Georgia Tech, um, as a black female, I was the only black female in, well, there was one other one starting with me, but, um, I was one of two black females in the program and I had a professor that actually came to me and while we, he says, you know, we're going to design a house. And I said, he said, I said, Oh, okay. He says, so we're going to design a designer house. I said, okay. So in front of the class, he said, so I want you all to understand that when we design the house, that we're not designing those houses that some of you might be used to that have the same shutters on every house and the same garage door in the front of the house. And he looked at me and I said, okay, why is he looking at me? Um, And then he made some other references to certain things about certain neighborhoods and he kept referring those, Kim, do you understand that? So I finally, I said, well, why do you keep saying that? He says, well, I want you to understand that we are designing houses that aren't like your neighborhoods. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, I know your typical neighborhoods in your urban cities that you might have grown up in would have been the same. They have different color shutters with the same houses that are rows and rows of those houses. So I said, well, that's not where I grew up. I actually went home and took pictures of the house that my father, Designed and built in the city of Detroit and plastered it across my drafting table. He came back to the design lab and said, Oh, this is really interesting. Where did you go get these pictures from? You know, you've really done some, you know, good research. I said, That would be my home. It's not the house that has the same shutters. I grew up in Detroit Mm. and had a couple of those incidences because people were thinking that because of, you know, you're a woman and I'm a a black female. Completely
0: male dominated field. And you're black. Um, I can only imagine what the black woman architecture in school is dealing with today, let alone when you were in school. Absolutely, in like, the 80s. What, what was that? And then you were in the South, too. What was, was that a, like?
1: It was, it was a very interesting experience. So um, I grew up in the Coleman-Young era in the city of Detroit. So mm-hmm. I was proud of who I was, whose I was, and where I came from. My father being in the in the city politics and those kind of things and very close to Coleman um, I was a very proud Detroiter mm-hmm. going down south. Um, but Detroit so that
0: whole scene from school days—you were like Big Brother Almighty.
1: <laughs> I was, absolutely, I was a I was a very proud Detroiter. as a matter of fact. I'm, I'm from Detroit. I'm a I'm a Delta. Um, and I pledged while I was at Georgia Tech. And one of the first things that some of the sorors from down there said to me was, "Okay, so where's your pistol?" Hmm? Sweetie, I don't have one of those, but I do have a knife in my sock just in case you want to ask me. No, um, but I did yes. say that. But um, <laughs> I didn't have it, but you'd nobody been, messed with me. You'd have
0: been coming back to Detroit right? for the rest of your school. <laughs>
1: right. But um, going down south was a, was an experience for me because in the 80s, I expected because I was from a Detroiter, I was a Detroiter and what we were experiencing here that everybody had progressed in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got to New Orleans my freshman year, I was the only black female on New Orleans campus Mm. other than the maid service, Mm -hmm. literally. Um, There were three other black males on Tulane's campus that were not athletes. All the rest of the black males were athletes on the basketball football team. Um, I can name those three black males still to this day. Um, When I first got on my first trolley ride, I got on the bus, on the trolley, and there was a younger white male that got on with me from my school. I didn't know who he was. We got on the trolley, this very old, very, very young, I mean, very old, very, very thin black lady was sitting down. She got up and gave this young white boy her seat. I, of course, assumed that she was getting off the trolley because she got up, correct? Because I'm from Detroit, it's the 80s. Um, that didn't happen, and we were five or six right stops down the line, and she's falling all over the place because she's a fragile older mm. lady. And I said, "Ma'am, excuse me, why did you get off, get up, and give your seat?" She was like, "Baby, that's what we're supposed to do." And I said, "No, ma'am, that's not what we're supposed to do." And I looked at him like, "Okay, you need to get up and give her her seat." A seat came available. I let her sit down. She was like, "Oh, baby, thank you so much. I'm going all the way to the end of the road." And I said, "You know what? I have a real problem with this." So, I've had some experiences with those kind of things when I went downtown, and, I mean, went down south and had to call my father on numerous occasions to say, daddy, um, I might need to come back home because, um, I yeah, might your, go to jail.
0: Your family did leave the south a lot of generations before many. You right, guys were right. like, you guys were like black people in Detroit, like, oh, we've been here.
1: <laughs> it was, Where have y'all been? I'm like, hey, so no. Mm-hmm. Um but, but it was that, an interesting that, experience. And then like, um, and it helps you grow. I'm sorry, but it helps you mm-hmm. grow and appreciate a lot of other things. Because I think sometimes our children, especially in the city, are not connected to that struggle because they've mm-hmm. never seen it before. Um, mm-hmm. So having that exposure is a good thing. So it was a good thing for me, for me to go down there and learn and to... You know, be exposed to why we are as privileged as we are in some places, and have the ability to do the things that we can do, um, and who read, you know led that road for us to do that.
0: Yeah, and and, and I was just gonna say, it's so unique, um, being the only black person in a room, or like one of few. Um, just even going through my courses at, at Wash, it'd be times where like I'm the only black person, definitely the only black guy. And then sometimes you walk up to a black guy and be like, What up, man? And then it's like he's British or something. And then it's like, It throws you off. Like, Cause you're like, What up, though? And then he's like, Hello. You're
2: like, <laughs> Oh,
0: man. But he's dressed hip hop or something. Mm-hmm. So it's a unique perspective uh, when that happens. Um, so, I, I, and I, I definitely don't know if a lot of uh, people that aren't black identify, but especially being black from Detroit, because it's still such a predominantly black city. This is like one of the few cities where, depending upon
1: travels, if you're a white person, you can be the only white person. Absolutely. In the room. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I grew up in the era where we had, through the Coleman Young administration, where we had the largest population of middle-class blacks in the country. So I grew up in where Detroit was really booming in the fact that we had our businesses, we were doing well, Mm -hmm. we were running our city and, and doing okay with that. Um, and so, um, I, I was fortunate enough to have the, to be able to get up every morning and to see that everybody on my block went to work. Now, whether or not they were doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, whether or not they were the trash man, whether or not they were the post office person, none of that really mattered. The position of who you were didn't matter. It just was that you were a professional and you got up and went to work. And I always saw that. So I always knew the importance of that. And we've gotten to a point where we have blocks and blocks and blocks of of residents in the city of Detroit that don't have the exposure to that. So it's hard to want to be something that you don't normally see every day.
0: Yeah. Um, beyond that, also like just the <clears throat> not see every day, but just the reality of uh, of a couple different worlds, because because um, you got me by a couple days, but I've, I I feel like I touched like what's happening today and sort of what was happening then, mm-hmm. um, and just seeing the transition as my block alone what used to exist, i I still see it so like what people when they look at these houses and say to themselves like that's blight i look at the house and i'm like nah that's 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 mr reese's house and that's opportunity uh it's mr reese's house like i know so many of the stories on my block like what was happening how was happening uh mr davis the guy across the street you know uh on like uh two two um two buses and he would drive church loads of people down South in the mm-hmm, summer. And that mm-hmm. was basically what he did. So like he park right there on that lot off Davidson. Like, I'm, I'm so aware of just this block alone and what's happening. I mean, even to like the, uh, as they call it, the street economy, the black collar economy of what's happening and their families and everything that's existed. So like, I see, um, I see my neighborhood a lot differently than other people may see it because I have a idea of the context of what's happened and how it's happened. And then the opportunities that do exist for a lot of, especially young black men right now today, uh, looking at the term unemployment as our president was just talking about that and you really get off the unemployment rolls after 60 days, uh, just and then you're labeled a displaced worker. Right. It's a lot of displaced workers. It's a lot of, uh, one, of uh, one of the little kids I used to look that used to like, you know, we used to, you know how you play with little kids, but he just got back from, uh, he's a returned citizen from 10 years in jail. So we just spoke the other day and he's just trying to figure out what to do. uh, How can he do something, you know? And this is such a common reality of what opportunities exist for a lot of the people in my neighborhood versus I do remember when most of the people were retired or or working. Right. I, I, I remember that even in this neighborhood and that's even for the guys that was still like involved in the street economy, as they say, mm-hmm. they still were like working and like, like dabbling in the streets.
1: You know what I'm saying? So. Absolutely. But you know, and you also were fortunate enough to come to what is still very prominent and still a big asset to the city of Detroit is that we do have those neighborhood um associations and things still mm-hmm. so and i'm not saying associations as formal associations i'm just saying as block clubs one of the things that has kept detroit alive are the people and the people working in their community even when sometimes downtown was not functioning for the neighborhoods at at you know years ago when the it was not functioning necessary for our neighborhoods our neighborhoods were functioning for themselves and they were their own downtowns. And because of that, our children still had a sense of identity of of space to a certain extent. Uh, we've lost a lot of it in some places because of some of the vacant properties, that, you know people that have left out, but we still have that. And it's still people that come from other places that don't have that in their urban cities as far as that kind of community within their streets really recognize it when they come here. And But because we're from here,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we don't realize how fortunate we are to have the people that we have. The people of Detroit are our biggest asset.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that the people are huge assets. And uh, the way that I look at things in how we engage and how we interact. Like it, it's it's like personal relationships. I remember, you know, somebody's water getting shut off and then like everybody else from the block getting together, gathering water, making sure that they could have access to, you know, the resources of water that we had access to. Like mm-hmm. I specifically remember this. I remember, um, you know, different stories like this uh, and and different things like uh how Christmas you come together if it was children that you knew it's like okay we know it's gonna be tight for them to cover Christmas so we would cover Christmas for mm-hmm. those families because mm-hmm. it, it wasn't even necessarily community as much as it's like oh it's that's family. Angela and that's Angela's kids mm-hmm. that's and your extended Angela's family kids will have Christmas presents. So it it's always been a a, a sense of um just relationships that have existed uh at least how i've seen in my neighborhood which is our communities
1: which which were which were developed from like our villages Mm -hmm. i mean we can but it is what our communities were and it was the sense of caring for each other and we've got to we've got to bring that back into our hearts i think that so much has happened in the city of detroit that has hardened us as a people because we've seen so much and we we're starting to except that there are a certain level of some things. We've got to bring that back. And I think it's coming. Um But we've got to bring that sense of family and community, that kind of sense of family and community back to but our it's, neighborhoods. Uh,
0: it's difficult when you're operating with less. A lot of the people I know just lack. I mean, the average the trader's making like $16,000 a year. Like we've, the the lack of resources that exist. Like I'm
1: very privileged
0: so let me I'm just very... Say, I'm very privileged to have what I have access to. But in comparison, when I look on a national scale and I just know what I could be doing in other cities, like it's like if money was all I was pursuing, I could easily go to another market and exponentially. Like I would be making probably four times as much as what I make here. Mm -hmm. So me having the access that I have Being a black man with this experience, staying here is more of a commitment that I want to do creatively then I feel like Detroit provides me those opportunities if I were someplace else.
1: So I I agree. First of all, the cost of living in Detroit is a little bit less too. So wherever you go, you have to kind of look at, so you get a raise in salary, but it also the cost of of living goes up too. But I also think that one of the things that we've got to start to look at in the city of Detroit, that there are a lot of opportunities out here. There are a lot of jobs out here. We've got to get ourselves in a position and in a place to receive those. Um, there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of training centers. We're gonna be doing a ton of development within the next five years. So your engineers, your electricians, your plumbers, your handyman's, anybody can do construction on a house as we're selling these houses, as we're building these developments, all of those jobs need to be filled. And there are training centers for that. And the Randolph Center that just opened up in district two, again, that reopened mm. for those training centers why aren't we knocking those doors down? Why aren't we out there really pursuing those kind of things? Um, there, There are some opportunities out here. We have to stop saying that the opportunities aren't here and pursue the ones that are and also make the ones that we don't have. As a community, we're very rich in culture, history and we built this country, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to bring that passion back. And I think that one of the things again that I think that has happened is through our media, we have it has been portrayed that those things aren't here, and we've accepted that.
0: I think that there are some training opportunities. It's uh, like uh, a great one is um, a great one is you know every everything like some of the people I know at the IBEW are doing. There are some training opportunities, but the cultural awareness and the inclusion and in making sure that you're present in mind and forward thinking enough to bring in the people that uh, that are, uh, you know, the, the comedy trader is so lacking. Like, I, I'm, I'm rare enough to sit in some of these rooms, but I do connect with people that say, quote unquote, they want to help Detroiters, mm-hmm. but they haven't talked to anybody that makes $16,000 a year ever in their life so it's like you're you're disconnecting because you don't even know how to culturally connect with these people because you're talking about trying to provide an opportunity for someone you've never personally met you it's a it's like a a disconnect between some of the people that want to do more and how they do more
1: so one of the reasons why the mayor created the department of neighborhoods which is how I became the district manager was just that purpose mm-hmm. that you have people that are in the communities that are working with just those people and others, whoever mm-hmm. is, is out there and willing to have that conversation. Um, again, I'm a born and raised Detroiter. I grew up, I'm still in Sorrento. I have friends that are doing really well. Some that aren't living anymore <laughs> because of decisions that they made. Um, some that are still living that have made some pretty difficult decisions because they just needed to live. Um, And they are all different kinds of conversations. And I agree that you have to know how to be able to communicate with all. all, But I sit in these meetings with people from all, all walks of life Mm -hmm. and I express the opportunities that are out there. But again, we have to have the capacity to want to go get them. But some of them, I think disconnect just naturally due to like, um,
0: for instance, uh, one of the times that I remember focus hope which is down the street absolutely just left there it's (laughs) in a lot of ways it's one of the best assets for my community but the people on my block have never walked in any door outside of focus hope other than the food center because the food center connects best with their messaging for the opportunities it provides some work being done by hope village that actually comes to us and comes right to our block where it's a now new conversations developing and uh, from having a personal relationship this is just like like even me you know uh, black guy from Detroit but I had a personal relationship with Eleanor Jositis before she passed and I was one of my mentors so I'm provided this opportunity so I'm standing out already I'm an outlier to everybody else I would play hide and go seek with but the average people that I play hide and go seek with because this engineering school has been down the street from me for at least, you know, for 30 plus years, mm-hmm. but connecting those people to that engineering school, even when I offer that as an option, it's a natural disconnect. And it's right in my neighborhood. It's it's walking distance.
1: So, again, what I'm saying to you, though, is that I, I understand what you're saying, but you growing up on the block and being that friend mm-hmm. have the opportunity of really pushing those opportunities to those people i understand there's a disconnect and i understand that there's a fear factor of what happens when i walk through those doors do i become the ostracized one in my community can i actually do that am i capable i mean i understand all the obstacles that mentally in our head that we we do that but at some point we've got to stop allowing that to be the reason why we don't go after these things and start really pushing and i think a lot of that starts in our school system because it's got to start young because once you get older and you've already formulated your mindset of things it's a lot harder to cha- make that change so I think some of that is going to have to start in our in our school system which is another reason why I started our our youth council and I'm, I'm going from 12 to 35 right now as far as what youth are um, only because I think that we need to start there um, I've talked to and I just left from focus hope also that You know, there might be a middle school and an elementary school element of what that is and how we get that started to make people realize, one, the asset that we have in the city of Detroit, the assets that we have in the city of Detroit and the abilities to make change in the city of Detroit. We've done it before. We'll do it again. Mm -hmm. We are um, a very resilient people and we're a very different kind of city. And I tell people this all the time. You can't just come from a Chicago um, New York Cleveland or Atlanta or whatever and think that those things that work down there will definitely work in the city of Detroit it's good to have that out of the box thinking and to have people come and new people come and deliver certain things to us but that then has to be adapted to how Detroit because Detroit is a very it it has been an African American run owned city for a very very long time and um, it has been a very community based kind of of city for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So our ideals and the way we work is a little bit different. Um, and I think that as you talk to different people, you have to talk in different ways and hopefully we'll, we'll touch on as many as we can, but now is the time for opportunity. Unfortunately, our city hit a really rock bottom, but it also opened up an opportunity for a lot of things to happen um, and for our people to be able to regain and grow back our city. Um, but we've got to take that opportunity and the door for that opportunity is not very big. This this is an opening right now, but it's going to close very quickly because people from across the country are realizing how how many assets Detroit has. And so you, before all that happens, and I'm not to say that that doesn't mean that there are people that can come from other places and that they can't land here. But that doesn't mean that we have to be dislocated from that but we got to get out and be a part of it. And we got to get out and be a part of it in every way.
0: Um, and I would say, um, it's, it's is on the systems that do exist because some of these systems of, uh, you know, however you want to put it, white supremacy, racism, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. these institutions were built for, uh, predominantly white men to succeed, Mm -hmm. uh, Naturally exclude The the thought process The cultures and the Inclusion of people other than white men So some of it is that And then some of it is on our culture To be like you know where do we Stand how do we evenly yoke it So I, I think that some self-accountability of having the courage to step into a place where you may not be comfortable does play a role, but also the system itself needs to be forward thinking to, to challenge itself, to say, are we really being as persistent to include the people that need to be included? Or do we not want these people included? Like it's a, as progressive as my, you know, my homeboys need to be sometimes the, the, the places when they reach out, need to be just as progressive.
1: So, and I agree with you. So, there are going to be places that are going to be that good old boy system. So you have I your you have places, the you have your but you have your place. big industries that are that are going to be that, and because they're owned by who they're owned by, mm-hmm. yeah, we can talk about it, and we could we can try to pers- be persistent in helping them to understand that they need to change. But mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you again, Detroit was based in 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 Built its wealth on one, the car industry, which Mm -hmm. we know that that is an industry. It's coming back a little bit, and there are some opportunities in there. And we got to prepare ourselves. Changing the mobility and technology more so. Right. So I mean, it and 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 so, but there's still opportunities for us in that. But Detroit was based and has grown by its independent and professional entrepreneurial spirit. We had the largest African American Mm -hmm. middle class through black business, black owned and operated businesses in the city of Detroit. That is the new industry of what can bring us back because we've got to create jobs that populate and employ our people. And then we've got to support those jobs in those businesses. So as those businesses open, we've got to support those. And that's how we create more jobs for ourselves. Now, does that mean we stop pushing to be in those other industries? No, but you know, if if we can, if we can boil a drug and making something and, and make a million dollars on boiling a drug, we can also make toothpaste and everybody uses it. We, mm-hmm. we can start those industries and we can do those things again in Detroit. And we've got to start to encourage our children to think of out the box stuff. I mean, I, I worked for when I first came home, my father had his own architecture firm, but I had always worked in my dad's firm and I wanted mm-hmm. to work for another company. So I worked in a very large international white architecture firm. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I was the only black professional architect in that firm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got treated as if I was not. Existent. Existent like the same Mm -hmm. others. And even from, like, secretarial staff and those people that didn't want me. Because yeah. at the time, we didn't have computers on every desk. We were actually drawing. So I had a secretary that I had to ask to do specifications and those kind of things. And she had to type them. And let had me, them let real, me say
0: this. To do her job. Right. But she did not want to do her job because for a black she
1: person. had to, Because I had to ask her to do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I had some. I have. I mean, I've had those challenges. And, and I've. I stood my ground and I, I made some imp- headway and, and made an impact in that as well. But I got to a point was saying, why do I need to fight this battle? My father mm-hmm. owns his own firm. Why not fight a different battle and grow where we are to give opportunities for our people, then to support that? But then the other part comes in. Then as a society, then we have to hire those companies. I would. I would.
0: I, I, everything you're saying is is kind of the conversation I I had before this with my father, uh, who's a CPA, and that's that's naturally so. A lot of this kind of comes from you know we 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 were uh, rewarded or, or given or lucky or, or God sent the advantage of having um, parents mm-hmm. that uh, had unique skill sets and entrepreneurial and, and different. So you know, me I listen to. You just tell me, you know, you know, a couple minutes into the interview of your father being an architect with his own firm. And I already see what type of value you can bring to any process just based on you've seen something grow over time right. uh, successfully. Uh, as I personally think the most successful business people are the people that stay in business the longest. I'm not I'm not amazed by the people that make the most amount of money. Right. I'm more amazed by who stays in business the longest. Right. That's Kari Fraser. Right. But that's speaking from knowing years of entrepreneurs. And I see people that get this big deal, it may or may not work out, and they're in business for five, six, seven. I hear stories about your dad being in business for 35, and I say, right. whatever he was doing, he was doing it the right way, because it's tough. So me seeing that and seeing that value, I don't know necessarily if everybody connects that, black, white, or otherwise, uh, the value of growing up in a household like that, uh, seeing that type of thinking, uh, seeing uh, independence feed a family um, and, and, and how that grows. So connecting that
1: and really galvanizing around that. And so it's tough. It's, and, and, I, and I agree. And I, And I agree that, you know, I was very fortunate that I had both of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had both of my parents and all four of my grandparents who were married to each other up until I was in college. Mm-hmm. A lot of us are not fortunate enough to have that kind of family structure. I understand that, which is one of the reasons why my fa- my husband actually, his father passed when he was 12. Mm-hmm. And the Little League organization that he played with actually was his became th- part of that family structure to help him to continue to grow, to be who he was. And then when he was at Central High School, Um, His band director became a father figure to him, which is what who the person who got him into college Hmm. Um, in the first of his. He's the youngest of four and the only one that went to college and graduated, you know, right out of high school. Um, Hmm. His sisters have now since gone back. But um, so because of that, he was the organization that he um, actually grew up with is the Westside Cubs, which is the largest black little league organization in the country mm-hmm. um, it's just celebrated it's 60th year and I was a it, cub at one point in time okay. <laughs> sweet it's, sweet uh, red and white as they say absolutely absolutely cubs for life so um, even though
0: he, every other team thought we were cheating but, every
1: game but, what that's just because we, that's because we were good it was like Cubs got 20 year olds out there <laughs> and, and we never did it and it was because we were good but somebody the, somebody, you know is going to leave a comment like the Cubs did have a 25 I, oh, year absolutely. old oh <laughs> absolutely we, we're, you weren't at the meeting when we were talking about Fitzgerald and the gentleman came in and said oh yeah you with the Cubs, the Cubs cheated no we didn't cheat we did not cheat, we were actually just good and we had people trying, that I were, were to dedicated in
0: neighborhood. <laughs> I, I switched on them
1: <laughs> so but with that I was I've been the president of the Westside Cubs for about 20 something years, but my passion for that came from my husband wanting to give back to that who gave to him. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, because he didn't have the father, he didn't have the structure that I had in my house and he didn't have that leverage. His, his mother was a registered nurse, but when his father passed, it devastated her. There were some mm-hmm. things that happened, yeah. dynamics that happened in that yeah. family, that wasn't. And the father, his father, was the educator in their family. You know, he was the one mm-hmm. that did the homework and did those kind of things. Um, his and his father was actually the first, one of the first black pharmacists in the city of Detroit mm-hmm. that was in mm-hmm. that whole and then, uh, area it, that was. And
0: then when you talk about this, just I mean, you're you're touching on a lot of points and components. But just even dealing with trauma in our community, as a lot of the challenges that we face. Are the traumas So like uh, We talk about The scarcity heroes. of money Kind of is a More of a symptom To like how you People make those decisions When money is scarce And the trauma Associated with that Like I, I definitely think that Uh You know, when you sit in some of these community meetings, sometimes it's just giving somebody a hug and listening to whatever they're going
1: through. You know, I'm going to go to two things. First of all, so we talk about like war heroes and the trauma that they go over when they're in a war situation. A lot of our children grow up in that same situation and the trauma that they grow out of. But then we send them to school and with that, all of that in their head and want them to learn. I actually, so I'm going to go back to Westside Cubs in a minute, but I actually, um, because of when I was telling you I was the only black female in there, I actually ended up taking a break, and I worked for Detroit Public Schools for three years. I taught third grade math and science, and I taught in a class, and I had a little boy that came into my classroom one day, and he was always quiet and never really... Never really participated. Mm-hmm. He was like Tasmanian Devil, and I set him aside. And I said, "You know, sweetie, what's going on with you today?" He says, "Well, last night, my dad shot and killed this guy in my living room, and I watched them body bag the guy and then take my dad away." This is a third grade kid. Yeah. And I thought to myself, like, "Come on, Who, how'd you make that story up? You saw that on TV." So <laughs> you know, I, I just couldn't believe because that's not something there's a reality that I would have thought was happening in in our, our children's lives at that age and that somebody would have pulled him out of that situation before he saw that progression of things happening i called his mother his mother's like i ain't got time for that i send the boy to school because i got to get his daddy out of jail i said Oh, dokie um i actually worked with that young man until he graduated from high school even mm-hmm. though i wasn't even teaching there anymore because basically what he did need was a hug um, my husband yeah. and i have raised eight boys in okay. our home that actually are not our children, um, because of situations similar to that, because they just need a hug. Yeah. Not because their parents were bad people, not because their parents didn't care. Their parents didn't have the capacity at that time to yeah. do what they needed to, to the do. Scarcity of money and sometimes so, you'll be right.
0: working two jobs or God knows what. If you you know, I, I have friends that, you know, um, the opportunities they have is like working at the airport. Like I know a lot of people that mm-hmm. there. So, you know, you take the bus to the airport you have a kid at home. I mean, I can only imagine. You know, sometimes you know you will support somebody, but I'm 12 years old, and my mom works at the airport. I'm 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 definitely not. I'm getting into some shenanigans because I'm 12. You know,
1: right? And we have to have opportunities. But so, but I, I worked with the Westside Cubs one to do that, to do mm-hmm. the same thing that you're talking about, to give hugs and to show our young people that there are opportunities out there and that there are people that look like them talk Mm -hmm. like them, grew up like them, that are doing different things. And again, it doesn't have to be doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, and architect. It doesn't matter what the position is. All the positions are very important to the way our society functions. It's just you going and taking that position and doing it to the best of your ability. Um, All of us aren't going to make a million dollars every year. All of us aren't going to make $100,000 every year. Um, all of us might not make $50,000 every year. However, that does not mean that the quality of life that you can have within whatever realms that you have should be subservient to anybody else. It just means that we have to do it a little bit differently. And I think that we need to be able to work and talk to those, to, to everybody in that way and and show that there are still, you still have to have passion. It doesn't cost us anything to go outside and pick up that piece of paper that's in front of our house. Mm-hmm. You know that's a that's something that we should be proud that in front of our house is cleaned up. Mm-hmm. We got to get back to that state of where we are proud of who we are. When I was in high school, my parents afforded us the opportunity to go to Africa three times um and to as a family. And when we went there, there was a young man that we met and he was 18 years old. He had taught himself eight different languages because mm-hmm. he wanted to be an international interpreter but he wanted to be an international Mm -hmm. interpreter he wanted to be able to go see some things he had no capacity no schooling he was working Mm. you know in his village to do what he needed to do but just was would go when he talked to somebody see if he can get a dictionary and had taught himself all these trades but his thing was is that i know it'll never happen to me because i don't have the money to go to school to do this we actually, through the group that we went with, actually awarded him an opportunity to come to the United States to um, just meet some people to get the exposure of something. Mm. You would have thought that I had just given him $100 million. Yeah. But it was just, it's just an exposure. So Mm -hmm. there are little things like that that we could be doing right here for the people of the city of Detroit. And I think that that's, again, I I really think that that's what the mayor's intention of having the Department of Neighborhoods is, is so that Mm -hmm. we could be those arms and ears, those eyes and ears and those arms to wrap around our communities to make sure that everybody knows that there are some opportunities out here and all opportunities don't look the same for everybody. No,
0: not at all. As I do want to talk about one of my favorite things, Uh I, I want to, I wish it was still happening. But uh, you may be able, you can definitely probably at least lead me in the right direction. I want to do a documentary on the Broad Street Parade. Because I always thought that was one of the coolest things ever in my neighborhood. And I don't know what happened to it. I, I The last one I remember was maybe like 04.
1: So, yes, and I do, in and, and the Broad Street Church, and actually some members over there still have that. And we've talked about that through the West Side Cubs because that was something that we were engaged yeah. in as well. Um, I mean, we participated. They produced it. We just participated in it for a long time. And, and actually, in its later years, it ended at the Westside Cubs Field, mm-hmm. um, you know, McCabe Field, and they had a battle of the bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that funding was an issue, and then the group that was actually producing it got older, and the newer, younger people did step up to to bring that back. Um, but the history of that, even, as as celebrating community, um, and it's interesting that you said that because I remember that also when I first started at the Westside Cubs and it was such an incredible event for the neighborhood that I had started that on Livernois and I celebrated there was 13 neighborhood associations down li- around Livernois in uh-huh. that area. And we took all 13 neighborhood associations and each one of them were represented in a neighborhood parade. And that came from that idea of the Broad Street Parade because it's just celebrating neighborhood and being happy to be together and having fun with the people in our neighborhood and meeting people. People were lined up down the street of Broad Street. You would have thought almost that it was the Thanksgiving parade how many people came out in some years. Um
0: Yeah, yeah. It was uh yeah, like I, specifically the first year Mayor Kilpatrick was running for office. Uh-huh. I think that was oh, one. Yeah, cuz he spoke at our graduation. Yeah. Oh, 2001 Broad Street parade. It w- it had to have been right. one of the craziest uh days in that you know. area.
1: And it, but it was beautiful. It was the celebration of neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah. we got to bring that back. So I, I
0: definitely want to talk to you a little bit about that. But let's talk a little bit about your
1: work now. Currently,
0: the neighborhood, District 2. Uh, district 2, you can kind of give the loose boundaries. But I kind of define Detroit based on, like, the high schools that it covers
1: historically or whatever. But... That's me and how I know. Like I asked, ex- what what high school is in here? So w- Mumford's in my high school in, in District Two, and so is Renaissance High School is in District Two. Those are the two DPS high schools um, in District Two. Um, our area actually goes from the Southfield Freeway to Grand to to John R, and then from Eight Mile, pretty much up to davison but there's the western portion of it only goes a six mile Mm -hmm. um and it's kind of cut out really kind of crazy configuration but we all service whatever the needs of the people are so if Mm -hmm. it's kind of just right outside my boundary i'll either refer them back to another district manager or i'll help them as well but pretty much goes up to davison um have a, a a lot of I mean there's a lot of schools and I'm actually going back into the schools met with DPS and I'm meeting cool. with some of the charter schools this week actually so because we're starting a youth council cool, to bring back that and so let you know we're trying to bring those schools and those that youth back Component. into being yeah. involved into our communities
0: yeah alright so uh, the average day in district 2 Whew. as you meet with me I know you <laughs> you're generally in meetings and you're given uh you speak on behalf, but you also do a lot of planning. What what's happening? What 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 are you doing? So, at, like, when does your day start, and does it ever end?
1: So, we are a department that pretty much is um, defined by our defined by you know what our job is is from nine to five but it's not so our job is really 24 yeah, seven most
0: community meetings happen at like six yeah. o'clock
1: it's twenty four seven 365 it's on Sundays I have neighborhood associations that meet on Sundays um I have them early morning Saturdays mm-hmm. you know every day of the week there's a neighborhood that is meeting um at 6 thirty I have some that meet in in, in the aft in the afternoon some that meet you know there are seniors that meet in the mornings um it's it's all over the place but really what our jobs are and and what I define what I do is to make sure that the quality of life for all the residents, every single solitary resident, I don't care whether or not you're a renter or a homeowner, homeless or whatever you're doing in the city of Detroit, that the quality of life that you have can be improved by something that I can do. Um, you know, we started off and the mayor put us in there because it was a blight issue. So this whole big blight situation, mm-hmm. you know, abandoned homes trash dumping grounds those kind of things so we were the blight fighters at the beginning Mm -hmm. Um, but as that came we realized that you know I can make a block look beautiful but if I don't occupy that block then what I did is just for not because it's going to go back to where it was Mm -hmm. Um, and the only way I can occupy that is by making sure that there's some other things that are going on in the neighborhood that allow it to be mm-hmm. occupied. You are the biggest advocate for block clubs that I've ever met. <laughs> right. I mean, but we've got to pull that back together. We've got to get our neighborhoods back together because you're the eyes and ears. And so there's two of us as myself and Sean in our office right now. Um, and, and so, you know, the manager and deputy manager, and we have two vistas, which are, our um, a group through the mayor that are working with us now. Um, but in general, you know, with all the residents and the things that are going on in our district, it's it's um it's very hard to see everything all the time. You got that right. So I'm not, I can't, if I spent all day, if I spent most of my time looking at houses or looking at the quality and the blight and stuff in my area, I'd be driving every day 24 seven, right? Because mm. I'd be going down the streets, I'd be picking and then I'd be following up on that. But if I have a block club on that street, then you can be my eyes and ears, you can report what those things are, we can have a conversation and together mm. we can create that what that does too is it also gives a sense of neighborhood back into the neighborhood. Yeah. So we're working on it together and they are just as important as what I do to make sure that it, it it works out. So when we fix it, I need you to watch it for me until we can get it occupied or until okay. we can get, you know, get it sold or what we can do. So that's why the block club is such an important and and I just I just remember as a child too, growing up that I knew everybody on my block. You know, mm-hmm. when I first started you'd be amazed at how, you know, I'd go to a meeting and the lady, I said, well, who lives next door? I don't know that lady.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I still, well, I can say, I still know a lot of people that have lived here for a long period of time, but a lot of, you know, the renters become transient and everything. And then I'm a single guy. so like, I'm not going to go across the street and say, Hey, you're renting from Joe now. So here's a pie. I haven't thought like that, but, um, I guess a lot would be different if I had kids.
1: But no, and we also want—we still want to change that, though, because I mean, you know, (laughs) a lot of our neighborhood associations and block clubs have started that whole welcome package. You know, where I live, if you come into our neighborhood, we're bringing you a pie and some cookies, and we're also bringing you what we expect of you and like, living this is the Coney Island to go to and <laughs> I don't well, go to that one <laughs> but this is no this is we also this is what we expect we expect that you pick okay. up and keep your lawn mm-hmm. trip or whatever whatever but here we're also here as an association to help you mm-hmm. and I think that we need to be you know doing a lot more of that because security actually comes because you know the person that lives next to you if something yeah, happens yeah. to your neighbor next door I want to be the one that can be there to help them you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying we got to get back to that and we got to teach our kids that because because of the age of this telephone and the things that we are in technology our communication skills we're losing that a little bit too so we got to be able to communicate and talk to people face to face so i think that's important but again it's also about creating those relationships so that we can build back detroit the way it needs to be um we've never lost it so i'm not saying we have to and mm-hmm. we resurrected that's not because it was never dead we right. it just it just there's some things that we have to work on and as a community we can do that so well, my I, job I is think, to make uh, sure that we do that
0: i think a lot of my especially like a lot of like i'm really going against the grain here and i love your your passion for for what does exist and what can't exist but i'm definitely going against the grain um the education I have, the skill sets I have, the talent I have to live in my neighborhood, mm-hmm. in the house next door.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, um, my my contemporaries, especially my black contemporaries, mm-hmm. look at me like I'm insane. Uh, so I definitely think some of the some of the people that um, that have that have more skill sets, more talents, you know, do choose places like Raleigh and Atlanta and Houston and Dallas. Uh in pursuit of opportunities, um, consistently. It's rare that I that the people that, you know, people put me in a room, and I just think I, I like talking to people, so I don't really consider myself that smart. I just pick people's brains. Then I get a little bit more information every day. But some of the smart people, as they say, hey, you got to meet this person. You got to meet this person. Most of those, you got to meet this person, people that I meet that are young and black, and I'm defining young in the sense of, let's say, 25 to 50. hmm they can't wait to leave Detroit and go someplace else in pursuit of something. So like keeping them here and getting them to a neighborhood like mine, like getting them on my block.
1: So again, I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate two and then uh-huh. these are my two initiatives for district two for this year okay. that I'm really, 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 really pushing on. One is my youth council, and again, I'm going from 12 to 35. I got my 12-year-olds to my 18-year-olds, basically, and that's our middle school, high school. And what we're trying to do with that youth council is to develop, okay, what is it that you want to, what do you see Detroit as? And what do you want, when you grow up, what do you want Detroit to be? And where do you want to be in this Detroit? What Mm -hmm. is it that you want to be? And I want you to dream, because that dream is what we need to be making our goal, right? Okay. That's that element. Then we have our, um, our college age group of kids now. Man. So a lot of them are here for the summer. So we're going to really capture that as, a, as the summertime. Um, some of them don't leave and go away to college. Some of them are still here and we need to capture them as well. Same thing. What would make you want to be in Detroit and what would make you stay Because you're obviously in this age group now where you have either an opportunity to go someplace and get educated or go Mm -hmm. or an opportunity to get a job someplace or whatever. Or you have an opportunity to make whatever it is here a good thing. Or what are you going to do? You're going to get frustrated and and leave or cause havoc in the city because you don't those opportunities aren't there. So what is it that you need? Hold on. Let me just say this. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you need in order for this to be the place that you would stay in? And then you have that group from 24 to 35, which is the group that leaves Detroit all the time because they've graduated. They've yeah, seen other what, that's things. That's what
0: I, I was going right. to get there. Yeah. And
1: so they see other things. What do they need in order for them to come back? Some of it is opportunity and job, but some of it also is opportunity to make your city a little bit better because you're born and raised here and you want to be a part of this change. So. As an architect, I mean, my father was here. I came back home because I had my father. But I could have gone to a lot of other places and gone to a, a mm-hmm. lot bigger firms and mm-hmm. worked other places and done and made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I love Detroit. Um, and I want to see the Detroit that I remember plus some. Because the opportunities that I had as a child and the, the way Detroit was as a child to me was the optimal place for any child to grow up and live. And we can produce that again. One of the things, so that's what the youth council is. So what I'm asking from this youth council to, to be is dream. Tell me what that dream is. What would make you stay in Detroit? What do you, where do you see yourself in that Detroit? Once that dream comes true, let's make that a goal. And at the end of the year, we're going to present that to the mayor because Mm -hmm. those are to me, the planning decisions that we need to, we need to be working towards because we need to keep retaining what we have
0: now, now with that. Uh-huh. the the members in your family because uh-huh. like it, and it's funny because actually like my white friends come over here and have no problem uh-huh. but most most of my black friends don't even want to come over here unless they're from over here uh-huh. like my own place like i've invited people and it's like yo it, it's safe uh-huh. like i know the people that would you would be afraid of uh-huh. they're, they're my people uh-huh. but um people in your family that are between that age of uh-huh. 25 to 50. Um, I have or a let's son. Say, I have
1: a that's twenty five, and he still lives in the city. He's still here in the city of Detroit. He works for General Motors at this point in time, um and he's w- really wants to be active. And how that he he gets his friends and those people that. And how, are where from are the, his friends moving um, to? Well, a lot of them are other places right now, but he's really pulling some back to back to Detroit. But that's what I'm saying. That,
0: so like. You know what I mean? Like a lot. I understand often, that. But so but you but still need to change the mentality nobody, also of the parents
1: too. No, because see, nobody has asked them really where they, they want this to be. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. We've been, we've been, we have been planning a city for a very long time as planners and architects mm-hmm. and administrators and, you know, whatever mm-hmm. we are elected officials based on what our experiences are. At this point in time, we've realized that there's and we didn't have to change and make those plans because people were coming to Detroit because there were opportunities for jobs. Mm -hmm. So we really didn't have to plan for that. Well, now that dynamic has changed a little bit and we've got to change that. So we're going to try this. We're going to see where that goes and how we get to change the philosophy. I also know that most of the time. So when I got married. Again, I went to school in in, in Atlanta and a lot of my sorority sisters and everybody came to Detroit. You know, their image of what they thought Detroit was, even though I would always tell them was kind of scary. And they were a little nervous. My husband's frat brothers came from Nashville because he was at Tennessee State. um, And they came down there a little nervous or whatever. But Mm -hmm. when they left, they were like, wow. Mm -hmm. Most people that come here and see Detroit and really experience it for themselves find that it is not the image of what we portray it. We're basically our own worst enemies because we're in this so much, we don't see the benefits of where we are. So I think, though, that we've got to listen, put where we think this could be and start working towards what that goal is, being inclusive to those that might leave because we could change this for them and keep them to, get them to stay. Um, I think there's some economics and getting some jobs here. I think the mayor is very, very adamantly trying to get jobs and and opportunities to come to the city of Detroit. We've got to change how how dynamically that is. The car industry was our income and we never, we should have been proactive years ago and, and tried to find another one of those incomes. We didn't and so now we've got to figure out where that comes from. I do think that we're going to build this city back by entrepreneurship and by us creating our own opportunities for ourselves. But That's not really just my decision. That is the decision of the younger generation because that's who's going to have to live it. So let's ask them and let's plan it through that. How far we get with that, I don't know, but I'm going to start it. We're going to see where it goes. And hopefully we'll be able to grow it outside of District 2, but we're going to start here. The other thing that I'm doing is that, you know, Detroit was, and I grew up, it was a single-family home ownership kind of a city. We owned our properties. We owned it. Through whatever situations that have happened in the city of Detroit, because there's numerous ones. It's not just the foreclosure thing. It's not because of corruption at all. It is a lot of different things that happened in the city. You know, we were not afforded the opportunities to live other places when we were afforded. We thought that was a better place to go. There's a lot of reasons why we why people have left the city and done those things. But in the in the process of that, what we've happened what has happened is as opposed to us being a Home ownership city we are now mm-hmm. almost 50 percent a renter city that's not necessarily a negative
2: mm-hmm.
1: it just is what it is right things happened people had to rent they couldn't own whatever happened um, a lot of it unfortunately was governmentally done um, and we could have planned better for that but we didn't so now we're planning for it now but I say that to say is that we I go to these community meetings and all the time people that renter down the street and that landlord don't and nah, nah, nah. so as a renter or a landlord, if I come to a black club meeting, immediately from the moment they open their mouths, I feel ostracized from those meetings. So I don't become part of that community, right? Because of the way that I'm treating. We've got to change what that dynamic is. Open our arms in the same way we have to open our arms up to youth and people and sometimes give them a hug. Sometimes we have to do that to the renter. We can't just go down there and say, you don't take care of this property and you need Mm to. How about this? You know, what's going on over here, guys? What can I do to help you? You know, let me talk to you. You know, how, how are things happening? You know, what? Where are we? Why do we look like this? Those kind of things. So we've started in District 2 a renter's block club. That's cool. And what that means is that I'm just asking landlords and renters to come together, have that dialogue about what we have to do. And I started for two reasons. Well, for a couple reasons. One is that we have this new renter registration process where we're going to be going after these landlords that are not taking care of their properties, right? And, and require that they are registered and that they actually bring their properties up to code. Mm-hmm. Well, when that happens, what do you think that what happens with those properties? So if, if I'm making more requirements on these landlords to put more investment in their properties, some of that money might trickle down to where your rent goes up. People don't rent for $500 a month because that's where they want to rent. They rent because that's what they can that's afford. What they afford. That's yeah. what they can afford. So if that rent goes up, then where do I go? Mm-hmm. Right? Um. So one of the things is, is renters' rights and responsibilities, landlords' responsibilities, but also right now, because of the unfortunate state of where we are in our city as far as us owning a lot of the properties, how do we get those renters back into being homeowners? Because very soon it's going to be cheaper to own. If you buy now, than it will be to rent. I, I agree. And these are,
0: these are advantages to take advantage. Uh, these are opportunities that can be taken advantage of, but still, uh, and their that amount of, of money. And I still kind of want to go back to like that point of like your son and his friends, but uh, like being a homeowner, you know, and property owner in the city of Detroit, uh-huh. uh, and, and and that opportunity that does exist now uh and what that won't exist just due to everything that happened after like first off you you need high cash because getting financing for for any property that's like less than 100k you're, you're almost you're talking to a wall. Okay. So, so I want
1: I'm to stop you from that. And that is why I'm having my okay. renters block up because that's not true anymore. Okay. That was true. And that was the dynamic in the city of Detroit for a very, very long time uh-huh. when the mayor actually was running for office. I think the year before that, there was like 500 mortgages or 50 mortgages in the whole city. It was a really ridiculously mm-hmm. low, low number. Um, that number has changed and it has changed because the mayor has really put in, in, been around talking to people. So we but have opportunities. Are the, opportunities.
0: Appraisers, are no, the no.
1: appraisers coming
0: yes. in from, are they from my community? Because most appraisers in the state of Michigan, you know, as they're appraising the value of the last property that sold in my neighborhood. Okay. So that's and- not,
1: that has nothing to do. So there are programs out here and this is why I have the, I'm starting the renters block club and I'm bringing these things to the neighborhoods. So there is a program it's called Detroit home mortgage. And through that program, They have banks. There's seven banks that are actually on board. And those banks are actually have appraisers and people within them that are appraising houses values according to what they would be once the investment is put in there so that you can actually appraise the house for what your investment would be so that you have the money to actually buy the house and Mm -hmm. fix it up. Right. Um, And then immediately, what does that do? That immediately changes
0: the dynamics. The
1: dynamics. Mm-hmm. And it changed the praise value for the whole neighborhood. Because once you sell that yep. one house, then you have a comp in that area. We mm-hmm. did this through when we started doing um, Rehab and Ready. So we realized that everybody, first of all, didn't want a house that they had to fix up. Mm-hmm. but also if we're selling everything in the neighborhood for a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars that becomes the appraised value of that house mm-hmm. so if for whatever reason i need to sell my house or i need to do something or i can remortgage it or whatever house, yeah. i i don't i don't have that appraised value so what we started to do was work with quicken loans and they actually they the land bank still own the property they made the investment and then when the house sold some of that investment went back to mm-hmm. Quicken and, and then some of it they lost a lot in the beginning. But now they're so we started in Bagley. The first house they put in eighty thousand eighty nine thousand dollars, I believe, or eighty seventy nine, eighty nine thousand dollars in the house. Um, it sold for, I think, like forty nine thousand. That was the first house. Mm-hmm. But it sold for 49000 That so creeped up their appraised the value, value just everything. a little bit,
0: right? So it's really an investment because, furthermore, if you can own more of those properties now instead of the property possibly being the $13,000 that it's listed as because I just... My how my appraised value of my home is basically what I just paid for my roof. Right, you know what I'm saying? So it's like weird, you know, when you make these decisions. But like even a decision like that, when I was talking to like most of my friends, and they're like, "So what? What's going on with signing up your money?" I'm like, "I gotta, re- I gotta pay for my roof," mm-hmm. and then they're like damn you paying for a roof that costs that's that the house is appraised i'm like yo this is where i want to live so but, but i've but,
1: chosen that but right but and you're making gonna that be that decision
0: though making that decision as a single man i can only imagine if i was married trying to make that decision but making that decision is like still I, i'm gonna say this alive. to it's being looked at like I, you're insane.
1: i agree and i'm gonna say this to you and i mean because my, my son's in the process of doing the same thing because i've been talking to him so you, you're paying $1,000, and I'm just going to say this, so I worked with um, my niece a little while ago because she was saying you're paying $1,000 in rent, right? Yeah. You're paying $1,000 in rent, and you don't own it, and if something happens and you can't pay $1,000 in rent, you go away and you have nothing. You just have nothing except for the mm. things that you take out of your house, right? Mm. Right now, um, we actually purchased a house with for her and, and fixed it up, and um worked with her and she went through a, a home buyer's class and those kind of things. Got with the Detroit Home Mortgage Um cool. group. Um, she didn't pay a down payment on her house. She got some um assistance in lowering her mortgage and so now her house, which is a one, two, three, four bedroom, two full ba- three full baths, one half bath um home, it's a beautiful house, totally refinished. Mm-hmm her mortgage taxes and insurance is $699. So she doesn't pay what she's paying in rent. She has a, she has an asset. So if something were to happen, say she got a job someplace else or something else was going on and she needed to sell. When she bought the house, she bought it for like $169,000. The week after it was appraised for 190. She already went in with some equity because right now our houses are doing that. That's a win-win situation. So let's start to get that program. Now everybody's credit, some of us even that own houses credit is not the best oh, yeah, right yeah, Some
0: of us I'm, right. I'm a one of us <laughs> so I, and, and, I, and, and you know and, I'm and a I know cash
1: guy. right and so there are things that we have to to do to change that so but there are programs that are that are out there right now but we have to we have to put them on the street because everybody doesn't know know where they are. And I don't know where to go get them. And I'm a little nervous. So my thing is, is let's put that in the neighborhoods. That's what my runner block club is supposed to be doing. So that we can go into the neighborhoods and talk to those people and say, look, I'm not asking you to leave this room and to go downtown and pay for parking and to do da-da-da-da-da, to go Mm -hmm. talk to this person. I'm asking you that the table right here is an opportunity for you to start talking about this and to get access to these things. Everybody's not going to be a homeowner. Everybody doesn't want to be a homeowner Mm -hmm. and that's fine. But those that want the opportunity now is the time to get it because as this is again, as Detroit grows, as things are happening in the city of Detroit, our appraised values of our property have already in some neighborhoods tripled.
0: I mean, just just naturally uh, more than tripled in certain areas, right? So, I mean, I'm I'm very aware. Some of the clients I, I have, like I say, I mean, I'm walking in the world of people that are uh. making some real estate moves just due to. But this is another thing that makes me an outlier than the people in my net that I played hide and go seek with. So, uh, it, it, it there are some opportunities. But you
1: are then you then become the teacher or the person that can help them to realize the importance of those Mm -hmm. things we're not going to save everybody we're going to save as many people as we can but we're not going to stop touching the hearts of those that we care about that's kind of what this passion is for so now you buy this you have that house you have your your house that you and your family have you have your grandmother's house just imagine if you convinced a friend to buy a house across the street and then now you have four houses that are in the area. You immediately argue
0: it would be a ninety-five percent chance that that would be a white friend, because my black friends. Mm-mm.
1: Well, so but we, we got to. <laughs> so what we've got to do is open their <laughs> eyes to the opportunity and help them to realize well, that the ones that
0: could afford it.
1: I'm just saying, Let's but to help like them that. also to realize that in a minute they're not going to be able to afford this either, and they're going to be sitting on the outside saying, "Dang, why did I do that?"
0: Oh, well, if when my black friends start seeing more of my white friends move in that's when i think they would want to mimic it but by then they probably wouldn't have the opportunity so i agree with you i agree with.
1: so you. but i just think that we've got to be taught we've got to be out there talking about it more and that's that's what the renters black club is so my two things mm-hmm. is to get our youth involved to get our renters to understand that there are some opportunities there to change the dynamics and do some education piece on that um to be in these schools to let to let our younger people understand that the entrepreneurship of Detroit is real. And that could be how we populate and employ our people. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about that as an opportunity. Well, and
0: uh, I, I definitely would say yes, but it will be tough. You got to commit and it's good to know people. So that's where I am an asset to a lot of mm-hmm. people, period. Cause I'm, uh, like I say, I go against the grain a lot. So, I would say yes. And getting getting in the mix with people like your father's uh associates mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. that helps a lot too.
1: And that's why we're out here. That's mm-hmm. why again that's you know that's that's what, what my day to day right now? And that's what my day to day job is, is to make sure that everybody out here has access to something. And if it's not if I can't give them the answer, then I can help them to provide a connection to someone to get that access to something whatever it is that they're dreaming of, whatever it is that they feel they need access to something. All of these things are not going to come immediately. You know, I get phone calls all the time. I need this house torn down right next to me. Mm -hmm. Would we love to tomorrow just tear down every house that couldn't be saved? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But one of the things we have to also realize when we talked about the architecture of the city of Detroit is that just because a house has been abandoned for 30 years does not mean that it has to be demolished. It just means that we need somebody to wrap their arms around that and give it. And we've been very fortunate that a lot of those houses have been invested in and the money's gone back into them as opposed to us tearing them down. Because, again, if I tear down some of the houses that are next to you, what first of all, it'll be years before we build something in its place. So what is what happens to that lot right there? It becomes a lot that the city has as a that has to cut, take care of, or it could be a dumping ground. We have to clean up all the time. And then when we finally do decide to build on it, the, pro- the, the quality of home that we're going to build there is not going to be anything close to the quality of mm-hmm. home that is built. And so very soon you'll see that that house will start to deteriorate faster than the houses that were built a long time ago. That's not really what we want to do. So if we can save as many as we can, as long as the foundation is there, we can save all the rest of it. And and sometimes There's they say, of, they say uh, but sometimes they say, you know what? They took all the plumbing. They took all the electricity out of it. Well, if it was built in 1920 or even 1930, they probably did not have a lot of that anyway. or and, and what it had in it was something that you need to get rid of anyway. And so now the Detroit demolition crew, which was the people that I call that go in and scrap all the stuff, have mm-hmm. done your demolition for you. Mm-hmm. And now you could just go in and put in the new infrastructure. So, yes, it's a little bit more expensive than if you had a home already ready that had already done all that. Maybe. Depends on how much you buy it for. Mm-hmm. So there's always those things that we have to look past the fact that wow this house is and the thing about it is is that outsiders come in and see the value of it and they're putting the investment in yeah we need to be doing the same thing and then have that where i'm paying if i'm paying five hundred dollars a month or six hundred dollars a month for rent you can own a house for that much now again it's going to take some work we're going to have to do some classes we're going to have to go through some stuff to get to where we can to get you these mortgages but there are some programs out here to do that right now let's try as much as possible to get as many people involved in that to take advantage of that and i think that'll help all of us a little bit feel a little bit more comfortable because a lot of us feel like things happen to us you know
0: i, I would argue uh you know
1: a lot of us feel you, like things happen to and, us and, and it's some legit arguments and in a, that. absolutely and that's true. what i'm saying so okay. now let's be the process for it not to happen to you but let's, let's happen with you. Let's work okay. this out to get yeah. that better. So it doesn't happen to you again mm-hmm. because it could happen to you again. Twice, yes. You know what I'm saying? There could be another resurgence of the city of Detroit and it could happen. Let's not do that. Let's not be in that place as much as possible. Let's put ourselves in a, we're in an opportunity stage mm-hmm. and let's work as hard as we can with as many people as we can to spread the word that this is now the time that we got to buckle down a little bit and put our investment into back into our city so we could continue to own it.
0: Okay. All right, now, and, and this has been a good conversation. And it's it, and it's like we it's it's weird. We agree on on the fundamentals. I think the approach sometimes is differently. As I do feel that, you know, so much of it is just a person having their own uh intrinsic value that they have to see here uh and whatever that standard is, some of it I feel like is the value that people place on spaces and places that have been labeled by the media quote unquote or whatever society uh that's why i have detroit is different i want voices to exist and create narratives that most people don't hear and even if these people get interviews they won't get this interview because it's more free-flowing
1: but let me just say this to you and that is why i think it is so important and that's what i was saying to you everybody's situation is not going to be solved the same way we're not gonna and we're not gonna it's not going to be just the way that I think it should be, it should be going. It's going to be the way you think it should be going. Yeah. But the problem is, is that we have to have those ways exposed so that we can all work together you know to make it work. Because the, everybody yeah. is going to, everybody's going to solve their solution in a very different way. Everybody's not going to buy a house the same way. Everybody yeah. might not buy a house. Some people mm-hmm. might be. I have people in certain neighborhoods that have been rent for thirty years, and nobody even knew they were renting. They thought they owned mm-hmm. the property because that's just how well their house is maintained. So every renter is not a bad renter. Um, every homeowner, every landlord. It's not a bad landlord no every homeowner is not the best homeowner no. <laughs> you know what i'm saying so but we've got to understand that there are differences all of us are different and so we can meet at a point where the quality of life for everybody no matter how they get there or how how it happens that the quality of life for everybody there is a certain quality of life that is expected and deserved for all of us that's, the city that's, of the city that's of like
0: uh, human rights and i would I would say some of that is uh, where you're at in your, you know, with your mental state and just due to the amount of poverty that I see that mm-hmm. exists, especially mm-hmm. in my neighborhood, it, it's tough to get there in America. When you're, when you're staring down, you know, it, and it's people that are, uh, are in more well-to-do neighborhoods that also, you know, uh, have money troubles as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, staring down the money troubles that I've seen, mm-hmm. it, it is, it is, it is sometimes like um, it's understanding is uh, there is a, 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 there is a thought process that I've come across where people feel trapped here.
1: Right. But let's not, let's not let us not allow them to stay trapped. I understand what their feelings are and I understand how they can get to that place. But we have, we have to be responsible enough to care enough about that person to not allow them to die Trapped, we have oh, to uh, listen, be. The, no, we have no. to be. I, I absolutely I understand that we were, we were kind of just, but we can't just
0: and talking about somebody, uh, that tragically, right, my neighborhood that I've known since because I mean, he was kind of like more, you know, one of the homies for, for a long time. Like, it's so, I don't think it's been since I've lived over here on Clements. I, it's rare, like, maybe like two summers since since I was the age 17 where somebody I didn't know got murdered or was murdered. Mm -hmm. Like it it just is so prevalent that like, you know how you said like the three year old, you know, saw the murder, like, uh, it's so prevalent that uh that i have an understanding of the street culture that does exist in my community that i've accepted this and this may be a part of my post traumatic stress disorder as like this is a reality that happens in my neighborhood if you associate with certain uh you know with with, with certain dynamics
1: but i i and it is a dynamic and it is real and it is something that you you um, understand happens. But does that mean that it has to always happen? It just means that that's a reality and it, it's a, it's something that we have to think about how we change that cycle of that being a real reality for so many people. Um, economics is definitely one way, but economics is not only just because, you know, I got because some of those people died economically um, in a good economic state.
0: Yeah. So the the one, the one that I'm
1: telling you about had a lot of money and had moved out of the neighborhood and was doing quite well, came home to visit his mother. And because of his past, something happened to him. Um, and that's a lot of people's reality, but how do we change that dynamic? How do we get people to not necessarily have to have that as, a, as have that as, response? Have that response. But how do we, and, and, and I'm not saying, that, again, and I'm not saying that this is an easy thing that we're going to solve it here in this conversation or we're going to solve mm. it overnight. It didn't happen overnight. Mm. But I don't think that we say that's just how it is and that's how it's going to be. Because if we leave it at that, it'll mm. never change. How do we change the few people that we can then build that army to keep on growing that army? How do we change the dynamics where the dynamics of our village was not that a Mm -hmm. long time ago, (laughs) things infiltrated and it grew and expanded out. Let's expand our new dynamic of positive thinking, of changing people's um, respect for one another, respect for elders, respect for children. Response
0: to conflict, response to- uh, All of that. Response to feeling
1: trapped or or that, you know, so like- And it's been years of brainwash mm -hmm. in us to feel like these are things that we were I mean, you know, no you can't imagine how many Detroit are saying, Oh, that's just the way it is. No, it's not. No, yeah. it's not.
0: I, I probably would lean on I, I think America itself. I Absolutely. think that America has a very violent culture. Absolutely. Uh, let alone not not necessarily Detroit. I just think that the 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 what exists here, it's, I've definitely accepted a form of like, okay, if you involve yourself in this and associate with these people in these in this manner you are welcoming yourself to possibly being murdered like I, I have if I'm one of those people that has accepted that so, so I'm very cognizant about and I, and I'm not how, saying how and where don't I accept, associate with right.
1: but I'm not saying don't accept that I mean mm-hmm. don't I mean you got to accept that because that's a reality but how do we change that that's where they want to be the mm-hmm. problem is is that we're not going to change the outcome of the decisions that they make okay but what we need to do is see how we can change the decisions that they make and to be a better decision. To not
0: end up in the place and space right. where murder To be is a better decision. One of, uh, one, one of the decisions you may make annually.
1: I can I tell you that the Westside Cubs and a lot of the kids that lived in that Boston area over there by Broad Street. There are a lot of kids that came through that program that could have potentially gone in the wrong direction, but because they were, because they were afforded an opportunity to touch and see and talk to people that had a different lifestyle Mm. that they might not have ever touched or seen before. They Mm. were able to make some decisions to do a different thing. I think that that, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about. We can't escape the reality of what is And that those certain decisions are going to lead you to a certain path. Mm -hmm. We can change the path in which you choose to make decisions. That is where I'm saying that all of us, all of us as Detroiters, as African-Americans have to make a promise to ourselves that it doesn't have to be our 100 percent passion every day, all day long. But it has to be a passion that when we come across these situations that we're willing to work with certain people and open up our our hearts and our arms to say, you two can have a a better place. And let me see if I can help you. If we don't do it, nobody is.
0: I agree. All right. So with that, this has been a great conversation. I got three final Detroit is different classic questions. I ask everybody these questions. First, um, your very first car that you own. What was the very first car you owned, what year did you get it, and what year was it made?
1: Who okay, I don't know what year it was made. So the very first car I owned was my grandfather's Horizon.
0: Oh, what, what, okay, a hora- what? It okay, was a Horizon, made a Horizon, I don't
1: know. Um, you don't know if it was it's G- crazy. Or, or Chrysler? Um, or, I or think man, it was American a mode. Chrysler Horizon. Okay. Chrysler Horizon, I think it was a Chrysler Horizon. Um, I was in college. And Where was the
0: first place you drove when you got it?
1: Um, I drove down the street because it was a stick shift and I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. <laughs> and I fi- my grandfather. Uh, <laughs> did, you pop, did you pop the clutch? Oh, my goodness. And then I took it to Atlanta, which is very hilly. And that was an interesting aspect because I learning. drove it from Detroit after I got it. That I drove up and down the street. Right and then drove it to Atlanta and then got on a hill and figured out that once you take your foot off that clutch, the car rolls back. <laughs> so if somebody's close to you, Oh my God. So <laughs> that was my that was my first car that I owned. Um I can tell you one other story. My father had a Thunderbird, a drop top Thunderbird when I was younger. It was an older Thunderbird and I just thought that was the best thing in the world. I just uh I love that car. And right before my sixteenth birthday, he sold it. And I talked to him for like two months. I was like, that was supposed to be my car. What do you mean? How did you sell the car? You knew I loved it. He was like, well, I had these problems. Da, da, da. Plus fact, you're not getting a car when you're 16. But um, I said, okay. So as I got older and I could afford a car, the Thunderbirds were not anything near that. And we were definitely a Ford family. Um, a lot of our family worked for Ford Motor Company. So um, I was really, really in a in a bad place. And so um, after my Clutch burnt out on my grandfather's Horizon. Ah,
0: he popped the clutch. <laughs>
1: I did. Mm. my mm. father did buy a car for me, and it and and at the time I wanted a Thunderbird, but the Thunderbirds were not the most attractive cars. Um, so I got another car. I can't remember what that was, but it was a used car. And then um, I got older, and my father bought me a Thunderbird that I still have. That is just the awesome thing. That's so cool. I'm kind of excited
0: about. That's that. cool. Now, let, I do have to ask you this uh, because this is this is also a. Uh, possibly not being robbed deterrent do you still know how to drive a stick oh absolutely see see yeah, people yeah once you, know, you learn it it's people long, never yeah, you know yeah. you 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 learn it you stick to it and then also you know nobody asked to borrow your car either Uh,
1: uh-uh. no 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 plus like it didn't matter if they asked to borrow my car because i was like oh no you're not burning out my my clutch because i'm not gonna get another <laughs> car for a long time so you're not burning <laughs> out my clutch no 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 like no. a brick. Yeah no, uh uh-uh. uh we didn't we didn't share cars on that one. That was an easy, an easy. Oh no, you don't know how to ride a car, cl- drive a stick? No, nope, sorry, I can't oh, drive Oh man,
0: it, I can only imagine. Like if you went on a date with a guy that didn't know how to drive a stick and you knew oh. how to drive, that's intimidating.
1: Oh yeah, I had many of those. I mean, not many. I didn't have many boyfriends, but that's. Oh man, that
0: that's that's intimidating. It's like, oh man, I don't even know how to drive. Mm. All mm. right, second Detroit is different question. Mm-hmm. Um, into the fireworks jefferson and woodward you're a dj you get to pick three songs for the crowd what are your three songs you're picking
1: Oof. okay so i wish you had i don't know my husband's the dj um um i don't know song names
0: i know music really well
1: <sighs> i have no idea i don't know song names um
0: Okay, give me an artist, and then I'll throw.
1: So I'm a Stevie Wonder fan.
0: Okay, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder Songs did a good... Songs in
1: the Key of Life album.
0: Songs in the Key of Life, you got... Uh, you probably Living in the City. I don't know if you play that.
1: Yep, I like that one. You got... Um,
0: superstitious.
1: No, I'm not superstitious, but you that wouldn't it. be something I'd play for Detroit. Um, the one about... Um, Isn't She Lovely? I think that's a good thing because I think our people need to be proud of who they are and I think that we're all lovely in our own certain ways. Um, Okay. There's there's some Earth, Wind & Fire songs. Okay, like if you're going to
0: play, you can play Less Groove tonight. Hmm.
1: But that's not something I would do for Detroit. I'm trying to think of... I, I really, I am... You'll find that I am so passionate about Are people being positive about who and where they are that all of my songs that I would play would be uplifting to say, look, here is something that you can do.
0: How about this? Okay, it's not all. It's actually not. It's an earth, wind and fire song Uh. to me, but it's actually a Ramsey Lewis song. What about the sun got song?
1: I like that song, but there's no real words in it. It I is think. no words. Yeah, there's no. So but it's uplifting. I agree. The
0: album cover itself is like one of. Yeah, I, I, I remember that it's, as a it's kid a, It is.
1: It's a, it's a, it's a great song. Well, I, I mean, I love the song. You just asked me what songs would I play for fireworks. Okay,
0: so, Sun Goddess May Not. And I know September is always, a, but that's not September. But September, I think, is the best.
1: Yes. Like. Yes. To talk about the evolution of how things go.
0: Yep. So it's the elements. So you get a little Stevie, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and then you will close out with.
1: Probably a Michael Jackson song. I don't, okay. don't know what would be, but. Would it be Wanna Be Starting Something? No, or um, what's the one um, about the world? Um, you are the world.
0: Uh, The we are the world. We are the world. Yep. With everybody. Yes. Okay. All right. I want to actually remake that like concept with like all these Detroit rappers from at the Detroit Rap Awards this year coming up.
1: If you could, if you, if I can help you in any way to pull together that we are the world, and we put that in Detroit as that in any form, fashion, please let me know. I I will. I will let you know.
0: It'll probably have to be like a, hey man, remember your mama gonna listen to this. We're gonna have to. uh, Tell them, but every year my friend's been doing this Detroit Rap Awards for a couple years on Uncle P, so he gets all of the rappers in the same room, and I feel like we can go downstairs in St. Andrews and do it. Might as well, because I mean, I, where do you get like all like of the so 300 posi- biggest?
1: How positive would that be to see all of the rappers to do a positive um, rap song about who we are as Detroiters. We, we, so we're gonna we do it this year Warriors. coming
0: up. I just got to get the honorariums together, so I, I I figure I can get the money because I can figure I'm figuring that out. But I will let you know whatever I can do to help. And then your your presence alone will make sure that they don't you know come in too high or too rappy, and they'd be like, hey man, keep it clean. Man,
1: it'll be as good. long as it's clean, it could be rappy though. got okay. To be clean because it has to be what they are and who they are. Because again, we are the world, and that is all different genres, okay. people. That's everybody.
0: Okay. we I will get you involved in that. Uncle P should be listening to this anyway. Uncle okay. P, DetroitRap.com. Kim Tandy's getting down with this.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. This
0: year for the 2000. It'll be the 18 awards, but it's like right. It's like the first, the coldest day ever in January. It's like the first weekend in January of next year. We'll do it. Okay. Uh, and very last question. If you could rename Woodward after one Detrader, who would it be and why? This is probably not going to
1: be the... One Detroiter. Well, <laughs> I can think of three very important people that I think to me, from me personally. So you were like truncated.
0: So it's like from Jefferson just, to, and then from, so from Mac to, or Martin Luther King slash Mac to.
1: Having just lost my father four years ago and knowing <clears> the passion that my father had for the city of Detroit and the people of the city of Detroit. Okay. Um, and what he has done for, because there were many projects and things that my father worked on, that he was very dedicated to making sure that all of the contractors and the people that were were Detroiters and African-Americans, and that they had the opportunity to show everybody that we could do this, and we could do it by ourselves, or we Mm -hmm. can do it with whoever, but that we have the capacity to do this, because for so very long, a lot of people would say, and they still say, "Oh, we don't have no, we don't have the skill set." People, we don't know. Detroiters, Detroiters can't do that. Well, yes, they can, and yes, they did. Um, and in in a lot of those projects um, that my father worked on, he was very adamant about that being included. Um, and so, like even through the Museum of African American Histories, there 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 was a, a contractor now who's pretty prominent. that was a drywaller who you know this was his first opportunity my father really believed in him and now he's doing really 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 well my father knew that was going to happen but you got to give him the opportunity um hall was another opportunity that coleman young that would be another person that i would definitely because the opportunity for african americans in the city of detroit um to have those opportunities to show and showcase that blacks could be and could do Mm-hmm. He gave that and he grew a population in the city of Detroit of yeah. the largest, you know, Explic- um,
0: explicit, explicit inclusion in 50-50 hiring. Absolutely. Contractors and employment for the staff. And, which
1: and, and made conversation yeah. about it and said, look, out there, you're not including us. So if we don't include us. Why not? And if you don't agree with that, that's fine. But right now I'm going to make sure I take care of who I need yeah, to take other care of. side of, of eight miles. So, I really think that that's important and that's an important history. I know that some, of the, some people don't appreciate some of the ways and things that he did, um, but he did a lot for the city of Detroit. And then another person that's very near and dear to me that, um, and everybody doesn't necessarily know his story and how much, but they will soon, is So Charlie Beckham, who has actually Mm -hmm. worked in many generations with many mayors, with Mayor Young Young and every mayor since then, Mm -hmm. um, and has done a lot for the African-American people in making sure that they were included in a lot of different ways. Um, His family was just that family that was really, really, really positive about Detroit. His brother was the same way, and I think that he's given a lot to the city, and and not recognized enough for his contribution, um, those would be three of the people that I think that I would probably name Detroit. I mean, but there are so many people that have given so much to Detroiters. Um, every other month, every, I have a District Two meeting, and at those meetings, I have an Unsung Hero Award. That came from the fact that. I have seen in my lifetime there's a young lady called her name was Mildred Smith and there's a housing development that my father did that he named after her. And she fought for people to have lower water bills at years ago. This is like hmm. early 70s, so right? So this is
0: like Maureen Taylor before uh, Maureen right. Taylor. Right,
1: you know, so
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and their water not to be cut off and opportunities for them to have, you know, good housing. And so my, that was, you know, that was my father's passion to find those people. And, you know, it was Coleman's passion. Um, Charlie's done a lot of that. Emmett Moton is another person that, that was involved Emmett in
0: that Moulton time. was very involved um, in many of things.
1: So. Right. And, you know, in development in the city of Detroit and making sure that there was inclusion. And, he, you know, he was from New Orleans and came to Detroit, but fell in love with it and was really, really adamant about making sure that those things happened. So, I mean, there's a lot of people um but because of who i am and where i came from it would probably be with my father first because i just I'm, I'm with you celebrate everything that my dad i'm with
0: did. i'm all pro family pro <laughs> pro family yep. is a good thing yeah and uh thank you so much you're more than welcome to come back with if you have any notifications you want to run through detroit is different let me know absolutely i'm with it i'm pro i'm, I'm from the district the the, the house and my workspace now is in the district. I'm here. So.
1: I appreciate the opportunity. And I actually appreciate what you're doing. And if there's anything that I can do to help you in growing this so that more people have access to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's work together to make sure that happens. Much love. about access. And
0: the very last question as you talk about access is going to be a bunch of people saying, I
1: want that mortgage.
0: How do people get in contact with you?
1: So um, you can call me on my cell phone, which is my city phone. It's 313-236-3494. It is on 24-7. However, um I might not get answered 24-7. But yeah, I will you know I know that. rappers. They, but they, they I wake will... up at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they waking up right now. But like no, 4:00. but hold on. <laughs> but I do answer in the middle of the night sometimes too. But if, if for whatever reason I don't answer, the best way to contact me is through text if you have the ability mm-hmm. to text. Um, or you can email me at TandyK at DetroitMI.gov, which is Tandy, T as in Tom, A-N-D-Y, DetroitMI.gov, so.
0: Okay, and then your community meetings when 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 if I just want to meet in District Two, like w- what?
1: So my District Two meetings are every other month. Um, the next one would be March thirteenth, and it'll be every other month, every 3-1-3. second Tuesday. You
0: gotta remember that Detroit three one three. What time? Three one
1: three. That's the
0: day, March thirteenth. Three one three. Oh okay. Oh
1: okay. Okay. We March always 13. remember that because okay, that's
0: you. also proof, proof, uh, proof day.
1: Right. You know? Okay. Right. So yeah, March thirteenth at six thirty at Northwest Activity Center.
0: Okay, proof day. Uh, I know what fes- festivities my rap friends will get
1: into later, but you can start today, District 2 meeting Absolutely. with Kim Ten. Thank you, thank you. Thank you.